1: I'm Anderson Cooper in Lviv, Ukraine. About 50 miles to the west of me is the Polish border. That's the destination that many Ukrainians are still desperately hoping to reach. What do you tell a child about what is happening?
2: Adventure. Just an adventure.
1: If the war continues, the UN estimates the number of refugees could hit 4 million. It's already the largest refugee crisis in Europe since World War
3: II. Putin is the second Hitler. It is serious. If the world doesn't stop him, there will be World War III.
1: Our senior national and international correspondent, Sarah Seidner, has been reporting from the border in Poland for weeks now. I spoke with her late last week to get a sense of what she's been seeing on the ground there, her view of the crisis, and what it's like behind the scenes being a reporter. This is Tug of War. I'm Anderson Cooper. So Sarah, where are you right now?
3: We're in Przemysl, Poland. We have been spending most of our time uh, both here and in Medica, Poland. Medica is right on the border. It's one of the few borders that has always allowed people to walk over the border. Uh, but now you can walk over, or drive over, or bicycle over, however you can get to safety, though the Polish government is allowing. So what have
1: you been seeing in the last several days?
3: A mass migration of human beings. There's an incredible number of people who just keep coming in waves. They're coming off the train, the tracks are here. We're about 30 minutes or so to the border. Uh, but it's the, only the or mostly here. women and children and every now and then older men, grandfather age, um, because of the rules in Ukraine uh, of men not being able to leave. Um, and we have seen so many children. I mean, I, I don't know why it felt so shocking to me to see that number of kids. But I think it was because you weren't seeing the full family unit. They're just clutching their their parents or their mother um, or their grandparents sometimes with them. And it, it's, uh, it's hard to watch it because you know that they're quiet and that they're clutching and, and wanting to be close is because they have just been through hell at such a young age.
1: I was thinking about you at, at the border when you're in a place day after day in some senses the same scene over and over and over again obviously it's it's different people and it is each one has a story to tell and each one has their own trauma and and when you're seeing something over and over your eye adjusts to the light your eye yes your eye gets used to seeing oh look it's another group of women and their children oh look it's another group of oh this is a grandmother this time how do you not allow that to happen and see it with fresh eyes every time
3: i think the way i've always done this um, i've seen you do this anderson you think of your own family and you see them in their eyes and when you do that it suddenly becomes very very personal every single person there had a life they had school, they had work, you know, they had troubles, they had bills, you know, they had laundry. Um, They were living a regular life. And then within a week, they were running for their lives. And that's how I keep it in my mind real, is that every time I go out there, I remind myself, what if this was your grandmother? What if this was your mother? What would you want people to know and do Upon seeing this, and by the way, at the medical border, it has changed every single day. At first, we were seeing mostly cars coming over in very slowly. It was like one every half an hour because they had sort of made the border harder to cross. Suddenly, about four or five days in the border where people walk over was flooded with people. There was a huge backup of thousands of people unable to get in. And then suddenly uh, the doors were open, if you will. And then a day later, the Polish military showed up and started, you know, really trying to make things less chaotic. Um, Huge buses were showing up one after the other. They started to have signs to let people know where they could get to for free. Um, And so, It has evolved over time. Now, it's a city. folks. Everywhere you go, you have to watch out because people have their bags, the meager things that they could bring with them. I mean, it, it looks like a tiny town. There are all these tents that have been set up. It is negative six or seven degrees. There are people from all over Europe who are looking at social media, gathering their things to give away, coming here to offer their time, to offer their homes. They are pe- and I saw people, regular you know, Polish in. citizens, show up and start making a huge number of Polish sausages right there so that when they walk out... They can have a nice, warm meal. They had me try it. They said, you know, we're not giving them junk. And it was delicious. And these people need something good. So it is quite heartening to see this when on the other side of the border, there is absolute heartbreak, there is absolute fear, and there is absolute sense of panic. I mean,
1: there's a very good chance this can go on for a very long period of time. The Russian way of war, which we've seen you know, is to essentially just bomb the crap out of cities, civilian population flees or is killed off. And then they move into the city and either there's a guerrilla struggle or there's not enough people to to sustain it or not enough facilities to sustain even a civilian population there. Is Poland, Romania, are these countries set up or ready for millions of more people? Because there were 44 million people in Ukraine before the war.
3: <laughs> right. And, and when you think about it, like Poland has about 39 million people. That's the population of the whole country. That's the size, by the way, of California, roughly. And so, you know, having more than a million people suddenly, you know, end up in your country, um, there's no way they could have been prepared for this. But what I have seen is they got prepared pretty quickly. And the Polish government, I know, is involved in some way. Uh, We are seeing them open up, for example, this area that used to be tents and um, sort of little booths set up outside in the freezing air where people could get all kinds of things like diapers and water and, you know, hot food that has now moved into a huge uh, super center, if you will, that has been defunct for quite some time. They have opened that up. And now the people that were outside sort of waiting for buses um, in Prashemishul after they get dropped off from the border can go inside and have a cot and lie down and wait there for whomever might pick them up or for their ride to other countries. Um, and so, yes, you, you are seeing a response that is very different from day to day. We've also heard of the fear of human trafficking. Because it's all women and children, there is a great concern about that. And so the Polish government is doing all sorts of things and NGOs um, by trying to regulate who can sort of be standing around uh, and waiting for people and who they are and checking you know, who they are. They are very concerned about the safety of the refugees coming over mm. from Ukraine.
1: Is there a kind of story you're particularly drawn to? I mean, you you covered... You were in Libya during the Arab Spring. Yeah. You traveled around the world. You were in Mumbai during the the attacks there. I
3: mean... You know, I I would never venture to call myself a war correspondent um, when I was living abroad. Because I think for me, it's always been the human story, the regular stuff. And oddly, for some reason conflict has always either come to me or I've been drawn to it and I finally realized why that is First of all it scares me to death like conflict on the scale where you're where you are in a situation where you were willing to kill someone for an idea or for territory or uh, for a, a religious reason or whatever the reason is it, it terrifies everything in my body but I also find, that when you go to a place where people are dealing with conflict, you really get to the core of somebody's heart when they are experiencing difficulty. And I find that for easier to deal with. I, I, I find it easier to be straight with people. Um, I have always been, um, because that's the family I come from. I, I don't know. It's something about the realness and that all of your kind of concepts about yourself and concepts about someone else go away and you're just mm-hmm. one human being talking to another.
1: I, I so understand that description. You're just communicating directly and it's it's all there. It's all clear and, and it's, it's like all the outside noise goes away.
3: That is exactly, that is the exact description. And I always feel very honored, really, to be able to be there in those moments. But those moments to me where things are just so clear, I'll never forget them. And I never forget the people. Never, never.
1: I, I do think it's interesting, too, because you know I've met a lot of sleazy folks who work in news who I wouldn't want to tell <laughs> my story to. But mm-hmm. the people who are are good at it and who you know are very conscious about how they do their job like you, you you want to be present and you want the person you're talking to, to know that you can receive their story, that you will do it justice and you are listening and you're not just thinking about the next question you're going to ask, or you're not just viewing this as, you know, okay, now I need to get a soundbite from X, Y, or Z. It's, um, you wanna you, when you're in these in places like where you are on the border, you want to get it right and you want to do justice to the 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 sounds and the smell and the the sadness and the joy and
3: all of it. Literally, if I could take their experience and put it on your kitchen table so that you too can breathe it in, can experience it. That's what I'm trying to do because I think we are so connected but also so far apart, we have problems with uncertainty on a daily basis. You know, will I get this job? Will I go here? Will I have to move? I? I mean, it, you know, just sort of the regular daily things that stress us out. Now, you know, multiply that by 10,000, not ever knowing if you can go back, not ever knowing how your, your your spouse is, how your parents are. I mean, having to leave parents behind, we talk to these this wonderful foster mother who decided between staying with her mother and her daughter in Ukraine and taking out six foster kids. And she chose the six foster kids. I have a mother and daughter in Ukraine. I'm worrying so much. But these children should be saved. The youngest one says, I want to go home. I'm telling him that he can't it's scary there he doesn't understand and I, I you know I recoiled because I thought could I do that like I mean this is this is love on a different scale and she said I'm so worried for my family back in Ukraine, but my daughter is adult and she's old enough to fight and she wants to fight. My mother couldn't come and I just knew that these kids needed me more than they did. And I made the choice and I feel really guilty about it. I mean, there's nothing more beautiful and terrible than hearing that from someone.
1: More with Sarah Sidner after the break.
2: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: There was some videos posted on social media of people of color, Black people. There were Indian students and others who were having trouble getting on trains. And there were just clearly incidences where people were not allowed on a train were you hearing about that from people at the border cuz you were you ended up reporting on it and and kind of flushed it out in a way that uh, that social media hadn't
3: yeah, I had, when I came into the country, I was looking, you know, I was going through my phone as we were heading to the train station, which was the first place that we went in Przemysl, Poland. It is the sort of the first stop um, out of Ukraine where people can get trains to anywhere. And I had seen something that said, I'd seen a woman being pushed back backwards off of a train and a whole tussle going on and on social media. And I just asked someone, I said, what was your experience? And this Cameroonian woman was there with her six-year-old who was a special needs child. And she says, look, I am not going to show my face, but I am going to tell you what happened to me. She was noticing that, you know, the the Caucasian Ukrainians were able to get on very quickly. Uh, but when it came to her, they put literally pushed her back and then pushed another woman, she said, back. And the woman fell back and, and hit her head. Both and of them are black women. she then said, we saw men who had gotten on the train and a gun was put to one of the men's heads. Uh, one of her, you know, African compatriots had to leave the train. He was terrified that he was going to be shot black guys. No, no, no. There was one inside the train. They went inside the train and showed him gun. Walk out. They put a gun on in a black face. man's face. I said, walk out. And he walked out because he was scared of guns. So you're telling me that, that there is discrimination by the Ukrainians Seriously against black discrimination people. discrimination on the back black people. They help their people They do not want to help blacks. So she described this. And then I went and asked two or three other people about it. There were several people there from India. There were people from Afghanistan and all of them had a similar story. So many things happen in war. And I think people are so, they want things to be very black and white. Like these are the heroes. These are the the perpetrators. Society is not like that. And so we reported it. And two days later, we were at the border in Medica. There was still this long backup and one of the members of the EU Commission on Crisis Management happened to just show up. I mean, we weren't expecting it, but there was a press conference on the border.
2: We came here to Medica in order to...
3: And I said, yes, you can ask questions. So I, I asked, I said, have you been hearing these reports and what do you think about this discrimination um, that has been reported? And he said, it's fake news, you know, this is Russia trying to, you know, create, uh, make Ukraine look bad.
0: Members of European Parliament for Poland Um, assured us that these are fake news, that this is not true. He's like, we
3: haven't seen it ourselves unless you have some sort of, you know, reporting on it. And I was like, well, actually, yeah, I did see it. I have corroborated it. I have talked to Africans and Indians who have both said they said that they were being pushed off trains, that they were being left behind. These are women and children. Any discrimination,
0: any discrimination. He's
3: like, well, it's absolutely unacceptable. Like, it should not happen. We must stop this. Citizenship or uh, skin color is completely unacceptable. I remember
1: watching that and just being gobsmacked that he used the term "fake news," which I, you know, is now used by autocrats and their henchmen all around the world when they're lying. And boy, did he do a 180 after you said. Um, actually, I've spoken to people, and
3: yeah, he knew. I mean, if he didn't know, the EU that very night came out and said, yes, we have a problem. There is a discrimination happening. We're clearing it up. And they did. I mean, both Ukraine and Poland blamed each other. But ultimately, those huge lines that were mostly black and brown people that were stuck suddenly resolved.
1: This is just one clear, obvious example of why one of the many reasons why it is so important to have diversity in newsrooms diversity of thought, diversity of backgrounds, diversity of gender, everything to because people see things and with different eyes and and to you know to have somebody with their own experiences and uh, own sense of knowledge of what can happen and ask those questions because that other people would don't ask.
3: And I, I wasn't asking the question to be rude. I was asking to see if they had heard of it and if they were doing something about it.
1: Yeah, I'm such a, you know, I so admire your work and, and just watching you, it's really struck me. Again, it's just so real, it's so human and humane. Thanks so much for talking about this.
3: Thank you, that means a great deal to me. It means a great deal, Anderson, truly, thank you. Sarah Seidner, thank you, that was lovely.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tug of War. We'll be releasing new episodes every Sunday and Wednesday. And for real-time updates, you can subscribe to CNN 5 Things wherever you listen. Tug of War is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by David Rind, Audrey Horwitz, Nathan Miller, and Paolo Ortiz. Felicia Petinkin is the senior producer, and Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Special thanks to Andrew Morris, Courtney Koop, Ashley Lusk, and Elizabeth Roberts. Talk to
0: you next time.
2: When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness